when I was a kid, I wanted to be a veterinarian, a teacher, uh, a lawyer, um, uh, and a doctor. And then I became an actor. Hi, I'm Ben Hanani. Welcome to How Do You Do, a podcast featuring creative guests sharing the nuances of their process. Just a quick reminder to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts is the most helpful thing you can do for the podcast. My guest today is Suhaila Alatar. Suhaila was born in Mississippi to Muslim parents who migrated from Egypt before becoming naturalized American citizens. She's an actor, writer, director who has learned to embrace a hyphenate existence and lives happily with her fiance and their two cats in Decatur, Georgia. Without further ado, welcome to the pod, Suhaila. Thank you so much, Ben. I'm so excited to be here. I'm, I'm totally flattered that you that you reached out. My pleasure. Happy to have you. And the way I first discovered you, actually, I was listening to the audiobook for Uncanny Valley, mm-hmm. and I was just really blown away by your reading of it. I've recently gotten into audiobooks because I've been able to just get through so many more books that way. And I just really loved your vocal variety and what you brought. I was like really hooked every time I turned it on. You kept me really engaged throughout in a way that I haven't quite found with other audiobooks I've listened to. And so I've always I've always found that art super fascinating of narrating an audiobook when it's not like I understand when the author is reading their own work, but I'm fascinated by how someone like you can come in and read another author's work and give it such great life and meaning. So I'd love to ask, you know, how did you even get drawn into that kind of work in the first place? Um, well, uh, so thank you. Those are all very kind words. I really appreciate it. And I, and I want to make sure to come to that actual book when, when, we, uh, when we can come around to it. Um, I was born and raised in a small town in Mississippi, a university town. And uh, I loved reading Rainbow when I was growing up with LeVar Burton. Um, and, uh, and I love just hearing stories read to me. I used to call the dial a story all the time from our local library, which if anybody's listening and they're like, what's a dial story? It's when people used to take answering machines, which were before voicemail, <laughs> and they would just leave long messages. And you would call up and it'd be like, hi, and welcome to the Starkville Public Library. Today's story is, and then they would do the story. Um, and, uh, and I would just sit in my kitchen and listen. And it was so, that was such a comforting thing to me. Um, and then I, uh, as I got older, I, I ended up somehow doing radio when, when radio still existed and when it was still prime thing to do. And this was mid to late nineties. So I started to hone in on my voice from there. And of course, like you, you, you kind of go from that and then you pick up little odd jobs here and there of, um, of doing like voiceover stuff for small commercials or companies where you're their welcome, you know, hello and welcome. Thank you for calling blah, blah, blah today. Please press one for blank. And, uh, and so you just take whatever little gigs you can. And, um, and then in 2010, a friend of mine called me and said, there's a new audiobook company that is starting up. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is the thing that everybody always goes, you should do audiobooks. But you know, at the, t- at the time we called them books on tape. You know, you should do books on tape. You'd be really good at that. And I was like, first of all, people who say that to people are just, don't say that to people. That's, <laughs> that sends 
that sends so many people to this industry, which is unkind and not the easiest thing to navigate. Uh, just because somebody has a good voice does not mean they're going to narrate audiobooks well, um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they'll do voiceover well. Um, but this was for me. Telling a story was absolutely for me. I had the background from it for, I was a theater actor for years. Um, when I did competitions in high school, I would do dramatic interpretations. And one of the competitions that I did, I memorized The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe and did that as a monologue. And, um, and I think that the moment I got this gig, I was like, yeah, I, I love acting and I, I love doing all the writing and, and directing. This was, this was very close to my heart for me. It was a dream job. It was my dream job. Where there's a dream career, this was my dream job. So Wow. So it, you kind of gradually worked your way toward it, beginning in radio and then kind of falling into it down the line. I want to ask you specifically, when you get an, uh, a job to narrate an audio book, What's that process like? Is there an audition the way there is for a traditional, you know, acting yeah, gig? How does that work? Absolutely. And a lot of people do it different ways. Uh, because I have a home in Listen Up Audiobooks, which is the the recording studio here in Atlanta that I have been with since since 2010. And again, like I, I want to be clear about this when people are like, how did you get into it? I got very lucky. This is not, these are unicorn stories of how this works. I, I knew somebody who knew somebody and then they were like, maybe you can do this. And I was like, okay. And I got lucky and, and was able to write it. So a lot of my first books that you go and you listen to are horrible. They're just horrible. <laughs> um, and they're usually romance novels, which I was really good at doing uh, and, and found a, a home in that. Um, but what happens is now the way it works is Listen Up has different pub publishers coming to them. And sometimes some publishers will reach out to me privately. They could possibly go through my manager or through my agent. Um, I bet Ben's getting a real kick out of this because I talk a lot with my hands. And so it's fascinating to know that I'm also a voiceover people because I'm doing all of this. Anyway, um, uh, they send me the audition and I, I record here at home and then I send it to them and then I hope I get the gig. I've seen when actors get sides is what they they call them in the biz. Uh, so they'll get, you know, a scene from from a part and they'll have to give their take on that scene. Does it work similarly with audiobooks where you're given a passage? And if that's the case, I've seen actors, they'll if you look at sides that an actor has, they're filled with notes all over the place and they have each actor, you know, finds their own meaning in it. I'm curious, what does it look like if I were to shadow you as you're prepping for an audition? What does your setup look like? Do you have no? Do you have like a printed script with notes everywhere? Or what What does it look like? So, um, oh, I'm going to so disappoint you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I uh, unless it's something intricate that has a lot of like, if if the passage that I get. So normally, what they need is five minutes. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if the publishers or if, um, if, if Listen Up is the one that chooses the excerpt, but you'll, you'll usually get four pages um, and sometimes just three pages, just depending A, on the size of the font and how it's written on the paper, that will fill up five minutes. And they need five minutes because your voice is going to go for eight hours. Somebody better make sure it's not annoying for five minutes, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, they choose wherever they want it to come from. So sometimes they'll choose the beginning of the book. Sometimes they'll choose the middle of the book. If they know that they have very intricate um, accents for fictional characters, they might choose that to make sure that you can navigate between the narration voice and that. I don't take notes. I use an iPad 
Uh, when I first came into the audiobook industry, we did use paper and you had to be very careful how you turn the page. You know, you have all this loose leaf paper because that would mean that the engineer or the editor would have to navigate the rustle of paper. So you'd have to learn not to do that while you were speaking over it. Um, you'd have to take a breath and move the paper and then go into it. So it was very like intricate dance. And then there were iPads and it was like, Woo, this is great. Um, and, uh, and so that's what I use is an iPad. If I had to take notes, it's probably on a post note down to the side, but uh, I don't have a lot of auditions that I've done in the last couple of years that I've ever had to do that. Quite often when I'm reading a passage, I can hear it much like um, uh, I, I used to talk about this when when you're reading a script, um, even doing sides for movies and TV or even for theater, I can hear what it sounds like. Um, and so I just mimic that out of my brain. I want to go back to something you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, which is some people might have a great voice, but might not be well suited to narrating an audiobook. How do you, how would you judge that? Because, you know, as you're doing an audition, you can hear it. Is that something that you think is kind of a distinguishing factor between somebody who might just have a great voice versus somebody who's good for audiobooks? I'm curious, what kind of bridges that gap for you? I know, I, I, no, by all means, I think everybody approaches their craft in, a, in their own way. I just, I happen to hear things in a certain way. I mean, my boyfriend, all, my boyfriend, my fiance, also, uh, he, um, he also narrates and he does it completely different than I am. He's, uh, it almost feels like he's more technical whereas I feel more intuitive to it. Um, I, I think the difference is, can you tell a story? I mean, people can have an interesting voice or a great voice, but if that's the only thing that you hear for eight hours, will it hold you? Um, they have to, they have to engage you. You have to, you, you have to know how to breathe properly. You have to know how to, um, to make words come to life. And sometimes just sounding good, isn't it? You know, when people say things like I could listen to Denzel Washington, read the phone book to me, they're not commenting on Denzel's voice, which is beautiful. They're yeah. commenting on the fact that he engages them. And that's the mm -hmm. difference. That makes sense to me. So on the day of an actual reading or an audition, rather, are there any rituals you have? Like I think of an athlete has pregame rituals. Do you have like hot water with lemon? Do you have actual, tea? Yeah. Or for actually recording the book once it's booked. Let's say both. Let's say, uh, or sorry, let's say for the audition. Uh, yeah. Let's say both, both for any audition rituals and then any recording rituals. Again, I like I hate I I feel like there's going to be so many other professional narrators, and I had to key in on professional narration um, that are going to hear this and go, oh god, she's just ruining everything. I, <laughs> when it comes to auditions, I, I am a procrastinator, and um, and uh, you know a person who is definitely Gen X and is like, I probably had ADD when I was a kid, and I don't know how I've navigated my way through it, but here I am. Um, so sometimes it's just, I've got to get it done. I need to get the audition done. So I sit down with it and I make sure to read through it, make sure there's no pronunciation cha challenges that I will have, which please remind me of pronunciation because I have to share something with you. Um, I'll have to, I'll, I'll, I'll go through that. And uh, once I know that I've got it, I get up and I record it as quick as I can and I get it out and then I edit it down so that when I send it off for them, it's not too breathy and not too whatever. And I, and I get done. 
Now, if I book the book, I will, um, before I wake up, uh, or uh, after I wake up, before I get to the studio or before I'm recording here, I like to make sure that I eat something like oatmeal because stomach noises and throat noises, the way you get to just know your body when it's amplified with a microphone that's right in front of your face, um, that's the stuff that like tampers it down for me. So I, I, you know, can't go in on an empty stomach and I have to be careful about what I eat. Usually I'll also eat like more bread than usual, just, just to make everything just go, just go down. Um, I avoid cheese because that becomes all sinusy and I have a tendency to go nasal when I'm reading. Um, I've, I've learned, I've learned all the things that I do. Uh, I think I think editors hate me because I I, I have a lot of semblance when I'm when I'm speaking, um, and my nose makes weird noises when I narrate. Um, all the things, but then when I get to the studio, I need a cup of ice water, and I mean it's got to be cold, 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 <clears throat> and a cup of hot water, hot, hot, hot. The hottest for my throat, the coldest for my mouth, in order to minimize. Um, mouth noise. Before I get to the studio, I make sure to brush my teeth thoroughly, floss and rinse with mouthwash because that helps clean everything and it reduces more mouth noise for me. And that those are the things I do. And then I get in and I set everything up and I've got the iPad in front of me and I um, and then I read. It really is remarkable how well you get to know your body when you have a microphone in front of you for hours on end. I've discovered that just from podcasting recently, and it's it's funny to hear a kindred spirit in that sense. I want to. Oh yeah. I, a, yeah, I mean, you're talking and like you know, the, I know what I love is the, God, the engineers that sit with us. God bless these people. Like they are. They are classy, classy folk, and they're so good, especially at, uh, at Listen Up, because they will, you know, your body makes a noise, and they're like, oh, we're just going to go back. And they don't even, they're not even going to, like, like, we're going to go back, there was a noise. And I'm like, yeah, I'm aware there was a noise. <laughs> it's my throat. I don't know what's going on. I think I'm so decaying. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, before we move on, I don't want to forget about the pronunciation point you just brought up, which fascinates me, because both pronunciation and channeling different characters voices especially if they have accents i know there's a lot of your acting background that probably helps with that but is there any is there anything that you do to try to get into that headspace try to get that voice down uh properly and in, in the case of both pronunciation and accents well um sure uh so I, I will tell you something that I have to do, like uh, it, it's something that developed with um, the romance novels that I did, which were really, really great practice and a great introduction. Um, my protagonist would normally, this is anybody's, my protagonist would normally, as a female, normally have the same voice, right? Mm. For almost all the books. I always hit the same tenor, same thing, everything like that. Um, and then the male, uh, you know, you can't, you can't impersonate a, a man. It's going to sound comedic if you do that, but you just have to figure out to just go down in a lower register and maybe he, he's got a little bit of a Texas accent or something like, you know, something, something that you want to de decipher, but you also have to make sure that it's supported by what the author wrote in the book. Um, and, the, and they'll tell you that. So normally they're neutral accents for my protagonists. Um, and then that becomes the challenge of figuring out how to make that neutral accent not match my narrative neutral um, voice. Oh, um, because, you know, you can't be like, and then she said, hey, I'm here. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's got to be a little bit of like, and then she walked in and she said, hey, 
what's going on? Like it's something that you might want to take up. So I'd, I have to figure that discovery out sometimes um, if I'm doing a good job. Uh, and uh, I, I, I will tell you, I, in the beginning, I used to make the, <laughs> the horrible mistake of reading the reviews, which one should never do. Um, <clears throat> I thought that they would be helpful. <laughs> <laughs> I have to jump in real quick. There, there are specific reviews for your audio narration, not just for the book, but for audiobook narrators like yourself. Oh, yeah. 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 And I think my all time favorite was, and I have it memorized because it was the, I was, it was after this that I was like, I'm not going to read this anymore. The person said, Oh my God, do yourself a favor and just read the book on your own. The narrator ruins everything. I tried for an hour and a half and then finally gave up and just bought the book. <laughs> oh my God. And I was That's like, brutal. It, was it was pretty brutal. Um, and, uh, and in regards to pronunciations, um, you know, I grew up with foreign parents, right? Um, Well-educated, but there's definitely challenges when it comes to what I thought a word was versus what a word actually is. And I will confidently go into the word um, discovering in my 30s and my 40s that I've been saying the word wrong my entire life. Um, I also do a voiceover for um, an online game called Smite. And I, I play the role of the lore lady. And I think one of my favorite reviews for the lore lady was, if you're a gamer, they said her ultimate is mispronunciation. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, at least they're still listening. Um, so yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, oh and I, I, I don't know if I answered that question, but yeah. I mean, what's interesting to me is you have to make some of these judgment calls about, you know, is this supported? Is this pronunciation? Is this inflection, something that might be supported by the author's text. I'm curious how much interaction you have with an author. I'm sure it varies depending on the project, but in general, do you find you get a lot of, you get an opportunity to talk with the author before you go into narrating the book or are authors generally more hands-off about it? Oh, and it's very different for every book. Um, you know, uh, the publishers handle their clients differently. Some of the clients want to be very hands-on. Other clients you can't get a hold of. Um, I just did one uh, novel uh, this past December where there were no descriptions of any accents, but everything was in the Midwest and it was early mm. 1900s, but everybody was also um, Swedish. And I was like, <laughs> or from Swedish backgrounds, they had Swedish names. And I, I, I tried to navigate the book to try to figure out uh, you know, sometimes you can go through the book and figure out he said in a thin voice, right? Um, he said in a slight accent or somebody would go, did I detect Irish twang? You know, like, you know, was there a little twang? Um, there are little hints here and there that other listen, uh, other characters in the book will give you for them. Um, and, and that's the stuff that I, I, I look for. But like this book was, I was blind. I couldn't hear it. I, I couldn't figure out who had who and without pushing my decisions on the author, I happened to get personal access to the author. And I said, is there a certain way that you're hearing any of these characters that you want me to embody? And the only thing they sent back was so-and-so is very soft, but assured. And so-and-so is uh, distant. Mm -hmm. So I gave, I got emotional direction, but nothing else. And so I made some executive decisions on my own 
And that was that. Interesting. Very interesting. But you, now can't, I wanna... you, can't, yeah. you can't make a decision if the book goes against it. I will tell you the most interesting thing that I ever had to face was doing a murder mystery. And I had created a character. But when you're reading the book, right, one of the characters meets with the character that I've already established who is going to be the murderer. But the way the book is illustrating it in the chapter, it's not being re revealed. Uh -huh. And it was one of those moments, I remember we came up and we all had to have a little meeting because we couldn't get a hold of the author. And I was like, how do we do this? If I was reading this, I wouldn't know who this is, but I've mm -hmm. established this character. I know how it ends. Yeah. I can't give away his accent here or his, mm -hmm. his person. What do we do? Um, and so we just decided to neutralize it. But those are, those are moments that it's really interesting to know books are, books were written to be read. Yeah. You no, know? they were, they were, that's what they were written for. So. Huh. So in the case of, I'm curious now specifically in the case of Uncanny Valley, how you approached it. Cause I think there were, there were a decent number of different voices you had to do. Not, I don't know how many accented, but the way you in, in, encapsulated the range of voices and also gave gave the prose the kind of cutting tone that I think it merited. I, I, I thank you so much. Um, Anna just has the same tone of voice that I have. <laughs> this was, if you, if you, this was one of the most enjoyable, easiest narrations I've ever had. There was nothing that I was like, I have to prep and figure out. The minute I kicked into this, I heard everything that she was doing. Um, and because it's working in nonfiction, we, I've only learned in the last few years to steer away from trying to do overtly voiceover, like our uh, character voices. So it becomes just a slight variation. But all of the stuff that you got from me, she had. That is what you get when you have great writing is the easiest way to deliver it is just let the words exist from you. Hmm. So I, I appreciate whatever you think I did. I, I just did what the book gave me. Technically in preparation, aside from, you know, what you mentioned about specific things you eat and drink to help you prepare, is there anything you do to get you in the headspace? Like, for example, I'm in TV writing and I know of writers who, if they're writing a love scene, will listen to, you know, romantic music as they're, as they're typing up the script. Do you do stuff like that when you're processing a manuscript or, or not really? No, not really, not at all. Um, <clears throat> no, I, I, I don't have any of that kind of process. I will say the tools that I use though to help me with uh, like pronunciation or finding accents. Um, there is a, uh, a great dialect coach on YouTube um, and I can't remember her name, but she she's on a lot of uh, instructional videos about accents. I go to her because she helps me slide into it mentally easily. And she's on how to accents, I think is how you can do it. The other place to go for accents is a website, which is a huge database. Um, it's just called ideas, which is I D E A S accents. And they interview people from across the world that live in their actual regions and are varied in age. So you're getting different generations who will just read a paragraph of something that they give them so you can immerse yourself in what that accent would sound like. Um, and, and that's the kind of stuff that I would do, especially if I've got varying accents, things like that. 
the one time that I did anything, um, I, I narrated a audiobook series called, uh, it's a trilogy called Sawbones. Um, beautiful, just wonderful fiction. And it was, a, it was a feminine Western, which was fantastic. But what was interesting is that while I was, when I booked the book, I was watching Penny Dreadful <laughs> and fell in love with the tone of how they were doing it and naturally put it on the book, um, all of them. And it served it, it served it really well. Um, so sometimes I, that I, I don't think I'll do music, but sometimes I'll watch something or expose myself to a story that will help me. Um, yeah, that's it. And I have to, I have to saturate myself in that sound. Hmm. That bridges nicely into the final question I have before we move on to rapid fire is aside from voiceover work, you write, you act, you direct, how has your voiceover work influenced your creative process in your other creative endeavors, if at all? I think if anything else, it's, um, it's, it's the other way around. They all come into helping mm. me with my voiceover work. Um, you, 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 you have to self-direct, you have to have um, quick adeptness at reading sometimes in the sense of uh, interpretation. Um, but I also had all of that background. Again, I, I used to do radio and I was a news anchor. Um, and a lot of times when we were doing news, we would get a lot of the stories in the moment and you'd have to read it off the wire, as they say, and that, and it would be on the fly. So that got me smarter and smarter and smarter at being able to stay ahead on the page. And that helps on every level. It's a constant work of analysis. I'm analyzing this character and this, I have to hear this script and I have to hear this book and I have to hear this page. Um, so all of the crafts kind of just complement one another to hopefully make me smarter each time. It's cool how different creative fields can build on each other in that way. And it's it's been awesome to hear about this process. This is my first time ever talking to someone who's narrated an audiobook. And uh, it's it's a real treat to hear about how it's done as someone who oh, recently well, got I mean, into like them. Said, well, thank you so much for uh, making me your first. Please do not make me your only. Like, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm super fascinated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, this has only piqued my interest. Um, so on that happy note, we'll wind down with a few rapid fire questions. Firstly, what's an app that you can't live without? My email app. <laughs> if you could wake up tomorrow having gained one skill or ability, what would it be? Mental telepathy. <laughs> All right. Where's a place you haven't been to yet that you hope to visit? Australia. What's a song you like to jam to right now? Oh, the first thing that came to mind when you asked that question, it's not a, it's not a jam, but I love Stand By Me by Benny King. Awesome. And lastly, where can people keep up with you on social media and find your work? Um, on Twitter, you'll find me at, at Suhaila and on Instagram, I think it's at Suhaila Atar. Um, and uh, that should keep you up to date on what's going on. And if you go to IMDB, you'll find out what I'm in or have been in. And that's that's all. Amazing. And if you're interested in the podcast, you can check us out on Instagram at HDYDpod. Suhaila, thank you so much. You've opened a Pandora's box for me. This has been super fascinating. And I this is one of the most creative, cool podcast I've been able to do. So I really, really appreciate it. Well, I thank you so much for having me on, Ben. I really, really do. Thank you.